Welcome to the Breaking the Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. On today's episode, we cover the ins and outs of product management with Kevin Lee, the founder of Product Manager HQ and an organizer of the world's largest community for product managers on Slack. We discuss how Kevin found his first job as a product manager. We cover the qualitative and quantitative requirements of product management and how a tiny video game Kevin worked on grew into the third largest revenue generating product in his entire company, making 80 to 100,000 a day. I remember product management seemed like a black box when I was learning about startups. Hope this episode helps flesh out some of the questions you may have and lay out a roadmap for how someone can get an entry product manager role. Check it out. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10x. Yo, yo, yo. This is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Into Startups podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, we're sitting out here at Hack Reactor's Alumni Lounge. Arthur, please introduce the guest. Sure. So today on the show, we have an amazing guest, Kevin Lee. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Kevin worked as a senior product manager at a number of startups, including AltSchool and Kabam. Before he made a jump into tech, he got a business degree and worked as an investment banking analyst at Merrill Lynch. But an interesting fact about him is he actually authored 10 plus gaming patents, but his real passion about product management led him to teach at UC Berkeley and eventually starting his own academy at Product Manager at Q. Kevin, before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about your background and what you were up to before you got into tech? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I started, I wasn't, a, you know, I didn't come from a technical background. I studied business administration. I went to Berkeley and their Haas undergraduate program. You know, one thing I did do was I, I kind of did this thing called a certificate in engineering management. And essentially what it was, was a, a combination of like industrial engineering courses, which you know, a lot of people will say it's similar to, you know, it's not at all similar to computer science or anything technical. It's really like a lot of optimization. And, and so, you know, I, that's what I studied in college. And sorry, this question was around how did I break in? Uh, it was more about your background and like what you studied in school. And before you really got interested in tech, what were your passions and what were you interested in? So I think, uh, you know, for most of my life, you know, education has just been really, really important for me. You know, I used to teach growing up. And one thing my dad used to ask me to do is always teach subjects back to him um, just to make sure that, you know, it reinforced material for myself. And you know, I think a reason he did that was because, you know, for my dad, he grew up in Taiwan. Uh, you know, his dad was never really there for him. And so he grew up with, you know, a ton of siblings and, and he kind of just had to fend for himself. And so he's always tried to be uh, kind of the dad that he never had. And so always pushing me, um, always investing as much as he could into my education. And so with that in mind, you know, again, going back to, uh, so I, I taught in high school, I taught music in college, you know, I was teaching for about four years, I taught personal finance, and I taught a class on stocks and investments for two years to um, college students. What did you play? I uh, played acoustic guitar. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, you know, it's, I couldn't afford a guitar lesson. So I used to just, you know, like everyone else, you would watch YouTube videos, you would pause the videos, look at where their fingers were, and then you would kind of just learn to play that way. And I used to like drive to people's homes and, and teach them on the weekends. And it was important to me. You know, I think it was around, was it, so education for me, the reason how this kind of ties into how I ended up in tech is because I think there's this interesting story I heard once, you know, called, it's called the river of drowning babies. 
And it is a pretty grotesque title. I'll tell you why in a second. So it's this concept where you have this river and there's a bunch of babies that are just floating downstream, floating down the river, right? And there's a crowd that just starts screaming. They see all these babies and they start screaming. And so half of the crowd runs downstream to go save these drowning babies, to pick these drowning babies out of the stream, right? And save them. And the other half, they decide to run upstream to figure out where the source of all these babies are coming from. Like, where are all these babies coming from? Why are they drowning? And you can find this parallel in many, many industries, especially one like education, where, you know, you see half the people, you know, they're teachers, they're out in the schools every day, they're in the classrooms grinding, putting their hearts out to kind of help essentially save our children, right, to educate our children. And then you have the other half, which are people who are, you know, going into policy, working in the government, trying to change, you know, laws, trying to influence. So now there's a problem with both here, right? One is that if you're going downstream, you're working as a teacher in a classroom, you're only impacting a limited amount of students, unfortunately, right? You're, yes, you're changing their lives, but you're only influencing that classroom. And then if you're going upstream, you're battling bureaucracy. You're spending like five to 10 years. I think, Ruben, you know, you know, both of us were at alt school. It's a long battle. It's a long, hard battle. And so for me, tech has always been kind of close to home because it felt like this nice sweet spot in between kind of going downstream and upstream where you could have kind of mass effects. You could educate many people at once. You could really change their lives. And at the same time, you wouldn't necessarily have to deal with all this bureaucracy that, you know, we kind of see in the current education system. And so that really influenced me in this, this idea of, you know, the idea that like talent is universal, but opportunities are not. And you can kind of use tech to change many of these things. Got it. Got it. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And so thinking about like whether you want to go to the source or, or fight things downstream, is that kind of like what led you towards investment banking and then working in TMT? And- right, right. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it's funny. I think many people, um, you know, who have gone through investment banking may relate to this, but I think when you enter, right, you, you're generally, I think at that point, you're not living your life necessarily deliberately, right? And the reason I say this is because you're often told that you'll learn, you know, a lot about a certain industry when you enter tech, or sorry, when you enter investment banking. So like if you go to a technology group, you know, they will sell you on this idea like, hey, you're going to work with a ton of different companies across the industry. You're going like, you know, to, you know, if you really want to know what you want to do down the line, this is a good way to get that broad sense. And I don't necessarily think that's kind of the best way to approach it. And I think, you know, it's funny because whenever you talk to someone in banking, they, they're never necessarily like happy with the years <laughs> that they spent in banking. They're always like, man, that was like, that was just a tough time. Um, I don't really know why I went through that. I was just, it was like delayed gratification. You know, I was just trying <laughs> to put off my real decision, right? So. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so just kind of like take a step back. And so you did education, you went into investment banking. So like what made you want to quit investment banking aside from everybody being frustrated? Like, why did you break into the route that you went? You could have been an engineer, like you took those courses before. Kind of like, why did you choose the path that you went? Yeah. I mean, I think it, it does go back to this idea of like, again, like kind of following the herd. I, I went to this undergraduate business program at Haas and, you know, it was a great program, but I think you get into this mentality where you see all these people around you kind of going into finance, going into consulting, going to accounting, and you feel like just one of the hurt and you start to get just like pushed along. And I think, you know, when I went to banking, again, I spent only eight months there and it took me eight months. And one day I kind of just woke up and I was like, man, what am I doing? Like, this is not what I like set out to do with my life. And, you know, that, that was the kind of this big turning point where I said, I want to start living my life very deliberately and start thinking very carefully about each decision that I'm making. And so, you know, I, at the time I had started to look into this career of product management and it was a very nebulous field, not something that there was a lot of documentation around not a lot of like centralized resources. How did you hear about it? 
Yeah, it's funny. I actually had been living at the time with an associate product manager at Google. And even, you know, I lived with him for a good, you know, those eight months and I never really had a chance to talk to him about this career. And so I had only kind of uh, tangentially just, you know, he'd, he'd always come home and casually chat about it with me. But it wasn't like a, I didn't have like formal classes about it in college. It just wasn't a thing, especially if you were a business major, like a business administration major. Got it, got it. And so like, what was the process to get in there from banking? Did you quit straight up? Did you try to interview while you were there? Did you find forums online? Because like, I know a lot of people trying to get into product management and nobody knows where to start. Yeah, it's, um, again, as you mentioned, it is this place where no one really knows where to start. Right? And I think a lot of that comes because it is a combination of multiple disciplines, right? There's, there's like UX, there's- What's uh, UX? Uh, user experience. So, you know, a lot, a lot of times- even user research like itself, UX is even, even that's a nebulous field that a lot of people don't really know how to get into. Just yesterday, I was talking with someone who studied psychology and then kind of jumped into UX. But, you know, that's one piece. Then you have like the engineering slash tech piece. And then you have like the business piece. So a lot of times there's kind of this like paralysis through analysis. You're never really sure where to start. The way I kind of approached it was I actually used this website called Quora. I'm, I'm a big fan of it because it's a very meritocratic kind of community where, you know, you go on, it's like, for, for those of you who don't know, Quora is kind of this question and answer website, very different from kind of Yahoo Answers back in the day. It's just much more <laughs> curated. You don't have all these trolls. They have some very high profile people like Elon Musk on there, you know, Jimmy Wales, founder of Wikipedia answers questions. And so, you know, I would go on there and type in product management. And this is something I highly recommend for anything, whether you're looking at user research, engineering, you have a random question about like, you know, this old painting you found in, you know, in some antique fair, you can probably <laughs> find an answer on there. And so Cora had all these great uh, people who are answering questions, you know, writing about product management. And so that was a primary source. And from there, I kind of just ended up buying some books and doing my own research. What kind of books did you buy? Yeah, I think, uh, again, there wasn't necessarily like a central book on like, here's product management. I think nowadays you're, you're going to find a few books. A good one is Cracking the PM Interview. Um, but again, that's specifically around the interview process. So I think back then it was more so buying books around specific disciplines, right? So one, let's say on UX, I bought was The Mom Test. And it's this book about how anytime people have an idea, the fatal mistake is they bring it to their mom and they're like, hey, mom, wouldn't you buy like this? And, you know, there's this like bias here because it's your mom, you know, she loves you. She doesn't want to see you suffer. She's going to tell you that your idea is great. And the mom test is a book that essentially is teaching you like how to ask the right questions and how to validate your ideas. And it's a very fundamental part of product management. So Kevin, it sounds like at this point, you're um, already looking online, you're reading Quora, you're speaking to your roommate about breaking in. Can you just tell us how you found your first job as a product manager? Yeah. So, you know, obviously, again, as I mentioned before, education was, was a big part of my life. And I had actually tried to recruit for a few ed tech, a few education companies initially, you know, for product management. And I quickly realized that coming in from investment banking, it was a little bit tough. A lot of them were looking for more technical backgrounds or prior product management experience. Now, there was this company called Kabam. It was a mobile gaming company. And at the time, they were a lot more forgiving of my background because, you know, product management at a mobile gaming company tends to be very quantitative. You're digging through millions of rows of data. You're trying to drive insights from that. And, you know, to influence what kind of features you're going to build. And so Kabam was kind of this really hot company at the time. It was, it was on this rocket ship trajectory. It was actually one of our clients too, back at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And so I had a friend who was a bioengineering major back in college who was already there as a PM. 
And, you know, I was able to talk to him. I was able to talk to a lot of influencers in the industry. And, and this is something I highly recommend is if you pinpoint what industry you want to work in, go find the influencers. You know, so for me, I found kind of the, the hottest gaming PMs at the time, the ones who were blogging, the ones who everyone went to. And I just cold emailed them. I was like, hey, man, can I just pick your, I had to say pick your brain because these days you want to provide value to them as well. So generally you would say like, hey, here's what I've been learning about the industry that, you know, here's some interesting things I'd love to like provide to you. I um, would be happy to just share notes here. And so again, guys, don't approach like going up to someone for like a coffee interview and don't send them an email that says, let me pick your brain. Like there's nothing more of a turnoff than that. You can find some way to provide value. Trust me. So again, talk to the influencers, get to know more about this industry, network your ass off. I don't even need to go into this. I think the three of you, you know, are true examples of, of what it takes to kind of get into the industry through networking. And uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of how it, I broke in essentially. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's just a awesome story about how you got your first break. And for our listeners who, are, who may not be as familiar with product management, could you give us an example of something you've built at Kabam to give like a pretty like high level overview of what kind of responsibilities a product manager does on a daily basis? And something that I mentioned before, you have over 10 patents that you've got filed uh, with the Kabam team. Maybe you could talk about one of the patents and how the whole team came together to get it. Describe product management to yeah. start. Yeah. So product management, you know, it's, you're going to hear a lot of different definitions. There's one really good one off the top of my head. I don't have the exact wording. If you look up Josh Elman at uh, Greylock Partners, he has this amazing slide deck where he talks, it's called Let's Talk About Product Management. But you know, essentially product managers are working to ensure that they can guide their team into building something, you know, that your users essentially want, right? And so a big part of product management is understanding what, you know, again, your users needs, right? And then working with your team to essentially build the right solution for those needs. And I think uh, back to, I think your question, Ruben, about like an example at Kabam for product management and what we would use to build. So I think, again, gaming PMs is very different than product management at other industries. The reason I say this is because in gaming, you are given a lot of ownership right away. You essentially are running the entire PNL for a game. Right. And you're the you're considered almost like a product owner, which it, it takes a long time to get to that point at other industries. And so uh, one example I remember very clearly is, you know, I think this was for I was like 2014, 2015, late 2014, Kabam was kind of struggling revenue wise to hit their end of year numbers. And so they sent, you know, four or five, I think five of us, five product managers out to Beijing. They actually gave us two weeks like mention and they were like, hey, just go out there and um, we're going to Hail Mary this. Like, we're going to send you out there. Each one of you is going to work on like a different game and just push it. Like, let's just see if like any one of these takes off and kind of helps to recoup what, what we weren't able to make. And so I went out there on a whim. You know, I, I was young. I was excited. I was hungry. I went to Beijing and there I was working with this team of, I think, six engineers and, and this, another member called a producer. And, you know, the eight of us essentially grew this tiny game that no one really believed in. It was kind of this underdog and no one wanted to be put on this game. It was like one of these battle card games that have a mobile app. But, you know, I, I went out there. I was eager to learn. Again, I was, a, I think at the time I was just an associate product manager. And we grew this game into, kind of, I think, Kabam's second or third largest revenue wow. generating product in the entire company, right? This, this game was making, you know, anywhere from like eighty dollars to $100,000 a day. It just kept scaling and it was nuts. And, you know, some of the things, sorry, I, I, this isn't really tactical. This sounds really nice and all. But on a day-to-day -day basis, essentially what you were doing was, you know, you Generally, what you would do is you would, you know, figure out what your users needs, 
are, you would prioritize them as a PM, then you would work with your team to execute on them. Again, in mobile gaming, it's a little bit different because you don't have this kind of qualitative approach most of the time. You know, a lot of the times it's very quantitative. You may like go on forums, you may talk to users in game to understand what it is they need. But I'd say a lot of it comes down to just being able to query your own data. And we use SQL a lot. For those of you who, who don't know what SQL is, you can definitely check it out. There's a bunch of free Udemy courses. Very, it takes you like an hour to learn. It'll make you very That's dangerous. spelled SQL. SQL, that's correct. It'll make you very dangerous, whether you're like a data analyst or just a product manager. So we would query our own data you know, and, and then again, work with our engineer. We would write out specs and then work with our engineers to kind of execute them and, and push these features live in the game. Awesome. And uh, kind of how do you come up with requirements if you're working on a new project that may have not been released to the public yet? So what kind of data would you be working with like from prior projects or do you do user testing first to get initial feedback and then kind of iterate over the product? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different data you can use. One is obviously, as you mentioned, historical data from other games within their portfolio. You would look at that. We often did something called a product teardown, which is where you would take competitors' products and break everything down, talking from like user flow, from the onboarding process, all the way to like core features within the actual game. And this gives you a nice also like competitive benchmark of what it is that you should be differentiating on. You could also use, like every time we launched a game, we always launched in beta first, whether it was like in Canada or a specific part of Europe. You launched a select group of users and you would get these beta metrics and also these data points, which you would use then to optimize the game once it was launched. So a lot of gaming was also about optimization, split testing. So at this point, you got your first gig. You're um, learning a lot. You're coming up with these ideas for these games. And um, you decided to start your own school and you help hundreds of people break into product management. So can you just tell us what skills do you teach your students? But before that, can you talk a little bit about the frustrations that you dealt with? Like, were you just a rock star PM from the jump? Like, or was it easy just from the beginning? No way. And I think, again, this goes back to, I think because I happened to start in gaming as a PM, I was given a lot of false confidence in the sense of they gave you ownership very quickly. And the funny thing is that with gaming, there's a nice feedback loop where anytime you push a feature, you can see immediate results. Like you see ROI, you see revenue spike within that hour. And it gives you this nice like endorphin high, right? It's, it's kind of like the dopamine you get when you check notifications on your phone, right? So I think it, I definitely was not a rockstar PM. I think at the time, again, Kabam was also on this rocket ship growth. And so it's easy to say you're a good PM when everything's going well, right? As you know, all ships rise in a rising tide. And I think the way you really learn as a PM is actually when things are going downhill. And I tell this to a lot of people whenever they're at struggling companies. I was talking with someone at Zenefits. I was talking with someone at Theranos. And both of them, they seem kind of ashamed that they were working at these companies. And I kept telling them, look, no, you're PM at a company that's really struggling right now to either rebrand itself or kind of like pick itself back up. And I think that's where, you know, going through the trenches is where you really learn how to be a good PM. Absolutely. And so I guess to follow up on Timur's question, what led you to starting product management at HQ? And then what is your mission and overall, like kind of like where are you at right now with this project? Yeah. So product manager HQ started because a long time ago when I, when I was trying to break into investment banking, we had a few very centralized resources that everyone went into, right? You had one called mergers and inquisitions. And I think they sold a course called breaking into Wall Street that like everyone, if you talk to anyone in investment banking, I guarantee you like most of them have bought this course. There was one called Wall Street Oasis, which was this community. And it's funny because you look at these two distinct like products, right? So you have Wall Street Oasis, which was a forum um, they had blog posts, but their big selling point was this forum where everyone could go on and talk about their investment banking experiences. 
And then you had mergers and inquisitions, which sold a course, but they had, didn't really have like a community. And so just keep this in mind as I go forward with this story, because I think like, you know, I always thought about these two and in terms of like product management. So when I started looking into product management, I realized, hey, there isn't a centralized resource like, you know, break into Wall Street or uh, Wall Street, sorry, mergers and inquisitions and Wall Street Oasis. And after I transitioned to product management, a lot of people would cold email me on LinkedIn. A lot of friends would hit me up for coffee, you know, again, to pick my brain. And uh, they would say like, hey, you know, I want to learn how you transitioned from finance into product management. And quite honestly, I just started running out of time. Like I, I had to do work. I didn't have time to run out during the day to do these coffee chats. And so I started writing instead. Started writing on this website called productmanagerhq.com. And I started sending this to people. I said, hey, man, I'm really sorry I don't have time to do coffee with you. Um, I feel really terrible, but here's what I would have told you anyways. And I encourage you know, anyone listening to this podcast, if you feel like some sort of pain point like this, like just write about it. I think you know, Ruben, does a, he's, written, he's done a great job writing about his struggles in breaking into startups, you know, great medium piece. And so just put it out. Don't be afraid to kind of write it, put it down on paper. So following that, I kept writing. I think six months later, I realized, you know, I don't want to make this fatal mistake that mergers and inquisitions did where they did chose not to make a community because a lot of people, they go on your website, they read, and then they bounce, right? You have, you see these like two minute average session times, these over 50% bounce rates. And it's because they have nothing to do after they finish reading your articles. So you want to create like a community where people can talk to each other right after, you know, they read your content. And at the time, Slack was this tool um, that was kind of blowing up. For those of you who don't know, Slack is a really popular kind of messaging tool. They're, they're trying to reinvent the idea of like the future of work, but it's kind of like AIM back in the days. If you guys or IRC or IRC, if you guys have used those tools to kind of chat with each other, but more in a formalized kind of work setting. And I realized that you could use Slack um, more in a community-like setting. And so I started to funnel a lot of my readers into this Slack community. And we kept growing it organically. And eventually, it kind of grew into kind of the world's largest, the world's most active Slack community. So we have over 2,000 product managers from all over the world. We have some high-profile people. We have like Ken Norton from Google Ventures. We've got uh, you know, the CEO of themuse.com, which is a huge career website. Or sorry, the C- I think chief product officer. We've gotten people like Puneet Sony. He's the former chief product officer of Flipkart, which is kind of like the Amazon of wow. India. Wow. So we've got some high profile people who've done like AMAs in there. I think earlier we were chatting about Pinterest. We have a pretty prominent uh, Lulu Chang. She's a product manager. She's going to be coming on next week for an AMA. And so really, really privileged just to see how active of a community this is. And I think it just comes to show, you know, how eager the product management community was to like have a forum to be able to talk to each other like this. People, it's just such a lonely job. Now, you know, there's generally like a ratio of like one to six or one to eight engineers at any company. And you never really know if you're doing things right, because as I mentioned, everyone kind of just falls into it and no one really knows like, hey, is this the proper way to do this? It's kind of like emperor's new clothes, right? You're afraid that one day everyone's going to look at you and be like, oh man, you're just, you're naked. Like that's what it is, right? It's that imposter syndrome. And so I think it's, it's nice for people to chat with each other and kind of validate what they've been thinking. Yeah, no, no. We can definitely relate to a lot of that. You know, Arthur team when I, you know, breaking into Wall Street, you know, these guys took different courses to get into Hack Reactor and App Academy and things like that are all relatable. And you mentioned a few things that I think will be interesting for the listeners to, to get into about creating an actual community of product managers. I know your Slack community has about 2,000, but you talked about your course. And I know you and I were chatting about how initially people would start your courses, but wouldn't fully complete them. And then like just how big is that? How many people are taking your courses now and, and talk about what goes into the course? As well. Yeah. So even before the course, so Product Manager HQ started actually as like a website slash newsletter. And so the newsletter now has, I think about like 11,500 people. And 
a lot of my subscribers, they would often, so I have this like auto response sequence where, um, you know, you kind of get a sequence of emails from me after you subscribe. And the first email asks you, what are you trying to learn from product manager HQ or like even product management in general? What are your biggest barriers to breaking in? And a lot of people, you know, they, they're coming from different industries. They're working a job, you know, they've got to put food on the table, but they just don't have time to be, you know, like studying and like looking up, trying to figure out what it is they should be reading. And, you know, I know this myself, trying to compile all these resources, it's tough. It's disparate, it's scattered. And so uh, a lot of them ask like, hey, is there anywhere where we could get like a crash course in product management? And that kind of kickstarted this idea of, okay, well, I see this, I see demand for sure. This is kind of a validated, you know, need that I'm seeing. And uh, I decided to, you know, fill myself in this room. I sat, I just locked myself down for a week, you know, bought a really cheap webcam, kind of, you know, like a Blue Yeti microphone. And, <laughs> and, you know, it cost me like $200 to get all this equipment. And I had this bed sheet draped behind me. So <laughs> it's just like a really, really amateur kind of uh, a course. But, you know, I, I just dumped everything in my head that I had learned in product management into this, you know, six hour course. I did a few interviews with a few product managers, um, put this online. And, you know, I, I blasted this out uh, kind of over a period of la- a few launch emails to my subscriber base. I won't go into the total number of students, but, you know, we had a really a pretty good conversion rate of just that, that 11,000 subscribers. And then obviously it's, it's left, it's online, it's, it's on the website. So, you know, we get a few sales every other day or so. So at this point, can you describe your typical student? And then what are some outcomes from taking your course? Yeah, so it's highly ironic because my course is called One Week PM. As you guys know, there is no such thing as like free lunch like, and, and even just like an easy way of breaking in. Like I tell people it's not one week PM because it's going to get you a job. It's going to give you great fundamentals. It's going to let you understand, you know, things you may not have known about product management if you just don't have time. And, you know, there are students who come in and they realize they're a little bit too advanced. And I'm, I'm happy to provide them that refund because I'm very clear that this is just about the fundamentals of product management. We've had students from all corners of the earth take this course. You know, I had a student who was working at like a solar company in Nigeria and he wanted to take it to learn how to become a better product manager. You know, I have students even from my alma mater, like uh, at Berkeley, you know, I have sophomores who, who tell me that they've been saving their boba money for like <laughs> six months so that they can take this course. I feel bad and I, I generally will give it to them for free. But we've seen students, you know, take this course, learn a ton, join our community. And then I have a bunch of screenshots where students will say, you know, after I've spent like a year in this community, after I've taken this course, I finally landed my first product manager job. And there's nothing more exciting than seeing those. That This is why I screenshot every single one of those. And I have these in a folder because I want to look back one day and kind of just be happy that I was able to provide this kind of value for this community and see people break in and, and really help change their lives. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, I'm super inspired by your story alone. And I guess kind of setting out on this journey of doing the podcast is also like kind of giving back to the community and there are a ton of people helping us along the way, and we definitely want to give back. And it sounds like you've been giving back over the last few years, and it's super inspirational to see someone else who used your content or material to land that job. So I actually have a friend who is a senior in college right now, and he's dying to break into product management. And he's been asking me to kind of coach him a little bit, and I've been trying to give him as much advice as I can, but I'm an engineer, so I might be biased and may not necessarily see the full picture. What advice would you have for someone who has, who's like super passionate about the industry and kind of follows TechCrunch, all the like kind of news sources, understand, like knows all about the startups, but may not have the like direct product management experience? What can someone like that do to position themselves for 
like a associate product management role at a startup? Yeah, so I think this is probably going to be a two-part answer, right? And so I think the first part is I would encourage him to, and this is not just like this student, I think anyone who's looking at product management right now is to really question whether this is the career for you. And the reason I say that is, again, because, you know, I am, I don't want to say a victim, but I went through my first job, like I say, in investment banking, not really knowing the true ins and outs. I kind of just saw this glamorized side of it. And I think the media and even people in Silicon Valley really glamorize product managers right now, mainly because there's a lot of hype around like, you know, you have people like Marissa Meyer, who kind of was, uh, you know, led the APM program at Google, was a product person, then became CEO of Yahoo. You have like Adam Nash, who was a product person, now the CEO of Wealthfront. But really look beyond just these pieces of like everyone telling you, oh, yeah, you get to be like the CEO of a product. You get to like make all these decisions. You know, people often think of product managers as like these puppeteers that are just like kind of, you know, drawing the strings. And what you don't realize is that product management is a very like it's a tough job. You're one step removed and people are always saying, well, like it's on the path of being an entrepreneur because you're like growing this product. You're launching this product. That's what I want to do. I want to start a company one day. So product management fits this perfectly well. And I tell them, as a product manager, yes, you're going to learn some entrepreneurial skills. But as I mentioned before, you're not the one actually building anything. The engineers, the designers, you know, the people, maybe you have a UX team. These are the people on the ground, you know, doing the actual work. As a product manager, yes, you're going to be facilitating some of that. Yes, you're going to be helping to drive some decisions, but you're not going to be building. So if you have this itch, this entrepreneurial itch to build something, go build something yourself, right? Go figure out if that entrepreneurial itch really is just you wanting to build something or if it really is you trying to be a product manager. And I think a lot of people make this common mistake because they get into product management and they say, and then they start to realize, how come I don't feel these tangible benefits of like building something? I feel so far removed. And so really know the industry before you jump in. Now, assuming that, you know, you've done your research, you still think this is the career for you. I think there's a few ways you can approach breaking into product management. The one you will often hear a lot is this concept of you are the product, like the person. You yourself are the product, right? So the world has changed. There's no, the idea of a resume, a cover letter, maybe some companies care about it. It's not that important anymore. I think, you know, for even for you guys, like Arthur or Timor, you guys went through coding boot camps yourself, right? There's many ways you can go up about kind of breaking in um, and making yourself the product. Yeah, and the story that they just wrote is called like the reality of breaking startups is the first product you build is yourself. There so. we go, perfect. You, go. <laughs> you guys should definitely go check out that article. I didn't even read that one. So uh, sorry guys, I'll read that after this. Yeah. But you know, you have to make yourself the product. And what, and what this actually means is, you know, I tell people, there's a few ways you can do this. One is you can start to write a lot, right? This is like what uh, Ruben does a lot. You can really brand yourself, right? So again, you don't want to be limited because I think a lot of people, this is what happens when you move down one career in one company and yeah, you're like hot stuff within that company. And once you change careers, you realize, hey, no one else knew who you were. It doesn't take that much time to start like blogging, start writing, starting to put yourself out there. Two is what you can do is figure out. So what I tell people, especially for product management is figure out what company and what industry you want to target. Go find a PM within that company who you respect And again, provide value for them. Don't just pick their brain, provide value and figure out what it is, like what kind of problems they're working on. Like, you know, the group that they're in, the product line that they're in, what kind of problems, what kind of user needs are they focused on right now? And once you get a good sense of that, go do your own project around that user need, right? Go do your own research, maybe hire a developer. If you don't know how to code yourself, work with a designer, come up with a small project that you can then present to that PM and be like, hey, I know you were working on this like specific problem. 
I thought, I, you know, it'd be great if I could come up with this kind of mini project or product around this problem. Don't be cocky about it. Like you obviously don't want to come in saying, I know what's right. This is what you should build. But, you know, be very helpful to them and prove to them that you can do the job. And this is just one step of kind of making yourself this product. So come to them, show some traction, get some users. It's very easy to launch something these days. And I think that's one of the primary ways I, I could see you landing an interview and landing the job. Got it, got it. Do, do you have any thoughts around like, some people have said, oh, well, maybe if I break into a different role and then now that I'm in the company, I can align myself with the product managers and then work on some type of work that's related to working with them and engineers and then kind of get into it backwards. Is that a good route? Or yeah. do you, have you heard stories in your community where people have done that? Definitely. Even my personal friend base, the community, we've seen many people who've transitioned internally. Actually, this probably, I would say, is actually the easiest way to do it like as compared to trying to break from outside of the industry. and. I know it sucks to hear that for some of you who maybe aren't even like working yet, but you know, we see a lot of like customer success managers, people on the front lines who really know the customers really well. We see salespeople, people who are interfacing with the customers all day long. We see data analysts who are able to find, you know, like someone like a PM that they can shadow within the company. There are many different roles. And sorry, these are just three specific ones that come to mind. QAs. I, QAs. There's any career really, you can find a way to like within a company to start positioning yourself at the very least, at least just like sit down with a product manager every day and start to understand what it is that they do, how you can help, what kind of mini projects you can take on. You want to just be acting as a PM before you get the job, right? Then it's like this with any, for any For any role. For any role, right? You, you want to make it part of your life, right? Versus, yeah, and, at, and at the end of the day, you're creating something that users want. Exactly. Products that users want. So any role that's related to understanding what customers are, are doing or what they want, or what their frustrations are. Sounds like it's, it's pretty valuable. Right. So at this point in our podcast, we do the lighting round. So this is the part where Arthur, Ruben, and I will ask you a series of questions and please try to provide short responses, but include a lot of uh, strategies, resources, or tactics that you use to learn more about tech or um, about product management. So with that, uh, Arthur, take it away. Yeah. So... Imagine if you were dropped in a new city, you had to start all, all over again, and you only had $100. What would you do, and what would be the first steps you would take to get yourself back to the point you're at? Yeah, this is an interesting question. I think, assuming we do have to deal with you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and, and you need to find a place to stay, you need food and shelter, I think you're going to find a lot of friendly people. I think one thing I might do is I might go to actually a lot of the co-working spaces out here in San Francisco. Um, reason being is because a lot of companies at these co-working spaces are also hungry. They're young themselves. They understand what it means to hustle and have to rent like a cheap working space. You know, I have many friends now who are starting companies. They can't afford nice office spaces. So they go to these co-working spaces. I would go there, hang out, use that $100 and maybe just buy yourself a seat. You can generally buy a seat for like $50 for one month and just milk that month, like milk as hard as you can. Sit next to all these companies, learn from them, offer to do free work for them. Tell them like, hey, I'm new to the city. I'm, I'm willing to do free work for you if it means like transitioning into a paid role. Obviously, I don't want to get too tactical, but like you're trying to at least provide some basic income for yourself first. This is one way I, would, I might approach it. Yeah. So basically hustle, get a co-working space and hustle your way into one of the startups. Yeah. Just put yourself at the epicenter of, of what's going on. And I think co-working spaces are one way to do it for sure. Yeah, no, great advice. Yeah. So another question that we like to ask too is like, when you were dealing with like any frustrations at, on your first projects or when you felt like maybe this isn't the job for me because I'm such a terrible PM in the beginning, like did you listen to any music or videos or 
something that you that inspired you to overcome whatever situations to be like, no, actually, I am really good at this. So, you know, I think music videos and blogs, for sure, there are a ton. I think one thing I always think about is just kind of how hard my parents worked to kind of get me to this position, right? So my parents are immigrants from Taiwan. They came here with literally nothing, like most immigrant parents, you know, and they worked so, just so hard. And uh, I often tell people, and this is something that like you'll hear a lot from Cory Booker. He's one of my idols, you know, former mayor of uh, uh, Newark. He often says that, you know, if we're sitting here today, like I'm sitting here today in front of you guys, I'm privileged because I was born on third base. And you can never forget that, right? You can never forget your roots. And so I oftentimes think, you know, well, if my parents can come here with no money, they can come with, you know, they didn't even know English. They came to this country where they literally had to fend for themselves. Like this question you asked me earlier of starting over the $100 in a new city, like imagine doing that with $0 and no knowledge of the language, right? And so if my parents can do this to provide me with the privilege of being born on third base, like I can hustle a little harder and I can work harder a little bit every day to make sure that, you know, I make it there. So I think that's probably my inspiration. Yeah. And we could definitely, Timur and I could definitely relate to that considering we're also immigrants. Our parents moved to the United States uh, when we were in middle school. So seeing how hard they hustled, they learn English, they got jobs, they provide for their family. And just seeing the kind of risks they took to come to a completely new country made our struggles a little bit less extreme. Like moving to a new city, you speak the language, you have social skills, you have some friends, or you can make new friends. So it just makes our struggles kind of so minor compared to some of the other struggles that people undertake and succeed at. So that's definitely a great uh, inspiration point. We'll never forget about family. Never forget about family. (laughs) For sure. Very true. So what is one piece of advice you would want someone to know who is about to start on this journey? And this could go back as far as high school or college. So I think especially for like, I hate to make it all about like tech, but especially for startups, you'll see a lot of advice these days where everyone's like, oh, go join a rocket ship, go find like the growth company and like take off with it. And I think that's great advice. And I mean, that is great advice. But one thing a lot of people don't actually, I think, think about is take some time and think about your personality type, right? So this is going to sound kind of strange, but go take like the Myers-Briggs test, go take the Enneagram test, or go figure out what type of person you are. Because if you're able to align your career with your personality type, that's how you're really going to see yourself blossom, right? It's, it's not just like this piece of like going to a growth company. It's figure out like, are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? Like, how does that fit into the type of roles that you want to work in? So ironically, even though we've been talking about like product management for most of this, this podcast, and I'm very involved with the product management community, recently, you know, I joined a venture capital. And the reason I made that decision was because after a few years in product management, I realized that product management is a very like somewhat extroverted role within a company but it's within that company. And you'll see like introvert and extrovert PMs. But for me, I was, you know, I'm in what's considered an ENFP of my Myers-Briggs. That's almost like uh, they've tagged it as like the inspirer or the evangelist. And, you know, I'd spent a lot of time thinking about like why I wasn't necessarily like 100% happy in, as, in a product manager role. And I think it's because, you know, I wanted to be out there. I want to be talking to people all day long, talking to founders, like hustling, really like blossoming in an extroverted sense. And so, Uh, That's why I decided to make this jump to venture capital. And I think a lot of people, you guys should take that time and really align your personality types with your careers. Yeah. And so can you share something outside of product manager HQ or core or something else that lives online that you would say like is the most useful online resource that you've found outside of that? Most useful resource. Hmm. About startups or breaking startups. It doesn't have to be product management. Yeah. Any blog Something posts? Something related to breaking or, the startups. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Let's go back to this question yeah. at the end of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. No Let worries, me take no some worries. time to think about this one. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, no worries. sure. All right. So what is one thing that you fundamentally believed in before that you changed your mind on after this process? I think it goes back to this concept of like what I was saying before about making yourself the product. I think your whole life, you know, you've gone through this traditional education system that was, you know, a product of like the industrial age where, you know, you, you go through, you get this degree, you know, you graduate and you follow this one job. And I think these days, you know, having that piece of paper from a university is no longer as relevant as what it used to be. And I think it's really important that you start to, again, like brand yourself and make yourself the product because that's what's going to last forever. Not necessarily this piece of paper that said you graduated from, you know, this college or, or this university or whatnot. So, so what's next for you? What, what are you planning on doing next? What are you trying to do for the future? Yeah. So, you know, again, I think I'm fairly new to the venture capital industry. It's been an interesting space. I think it's funny because I, you know, again, it's easier connecting the dots moving backwards than it is going forwards. But a lot of people ask, like, you know, why did you jump into venture capital? Like, is this, you know, how did you even come to this conclusion? And I think a long time ago, I heard, you know, my mom told me this story about my grandpa, where or my great grandparents, where my great grandpa was this, he used to be this professor in Taiwan. And then he decided to try his hand at something similar to venture capital, where he would go to, you know, my grandpa, great grandparents were, they lived in a very rural place of Taiwan. They would go to these farmers in nearby areas and they would see the farmers needed money to kind of get the seeds to grow the crops. And so he started loaning out his money and essentially investing in the farmers nearby to give them a chance to succeed. And, you know, again, just leaving his professorship to try to try his hand at business. And the next year he went back and he realized that a lot of these farmers like couldn't afford to pay back like, you know, the money that he had given them. And so he actually went back and he took his big book of debts and he just burned the whole thing. And he essentially gave out all his money. So, you know, in hindsight, not the best venture capitalist per se, or not the best investor, but, but I think that always resonated with me where, you know, it's, it's kind of in my blood to want to be like helping, you know, entrepreneurs, helping founders, helping people. And so, you know, for now, I'm definitely going to try my hand at venture capital and, and work with great founders and support them any way I can. And what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Are you on any social media? You mentioned Cora, like, are you on Twitter or any other ones? Yeah, you know, I've, I've been pretty terrible at Twitter, to be honest. It's just, <laughs> uh, you know, I know you guys kill it on Twitter. You just hit me up on my email, you know, Kevin Lee Me, K-E-V-I-N-L-E-E-M-E at gmail.com. Kevin at Funders Club, that's where I am now. You can hit me up there. Twitter, you can try. I probably, it'll be tough for me. LinkedIn is actually my go-to resource. You know, I'm pretty big on LinkedIn, so awesome. not, not too up to with the times. Yeah, yeah, we'll include all of that in our show notes. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on our podcast today and sharing uh, your story. It's super inspirational. Um, I think the product management HQ is a great product. And if you're considering uh, breaking into startups as a product manager, then hey, check it out. A few hundred bucks is probably worth the investment. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll have you again. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.